All right, well, this morning we have some interns with us from Spokane, from Victory Faith Center, and um, they have been doing some work. We have a storage shed out there, and I heard some reports that it is clean and it is awesome, and the octoball set isn't in the way in there anymore, something like that. So, well, we have Pastor Jared Hodgson with us this morning, and he's been the, the leader of the School of Leadership for quite a few years, but you've been with the School of Leadership since 2009. Jared, I tried to do the math in my head, so it's something like 13 years at least that he has been coming out, serving in our church, and serving in our community. So would you welcome with me this morning, Pastor Jared Hodgson. Thank you, Jared. Thank you so much. Shout out to Ron. He was my first host home in 09. Faithful. Hey, yeah, I am Pastor Jared, and uh, hey, I'm going to be turning 37 this year. Married. I just celebrated my 10th year anniversary back in March. Got two kids. I got a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, a son and a daughter. And hey, it is good to be here. Feels like home. And I just want to make a shout out to you guys as senior pastors, uh, Doug and Lois, who have been faithfully serving this community. You know, their heart is so pure. They are such good people coming from the outside, looking in what they're building, how they treat people, their thought processes, being in their home. They are wonderful people. It's a, it's a shame that they're gone, but I guess they're with family. Uh, we miss them. So Doug and Lois, if you hear this, I uh, love you so much. Uh, thank you for entrusting us with your flock it's a big deal, entrusting us while you're just gone, and so uh, we love you so much, and just give honor to Pastor Doug and Lois. When you see them, thank them, write them cards. You know, that sometimes they say, not that it's all about us, but it's lonely up top. Sometimes you just, you serve, you serve, but you, you know people love you, but they don't hear it. Let them know. Let them know. Come on, somebody. Hey, we're going to have a couple testimonies, and I'm going to wrap things up. I think that you're going to be stirred, hopefully touched by God. I know you're going to be touched by God. We've been praying for you. You've been in our heart. So I'm going to invite uh, one of our second-year interns. I think he spoke last year, but it's Peyton. So, if, Bud, why don't you come up here and share? Uh, this is pretty sturdy. Thanks, Brian. This is perfect. Oh my gosh, I am so nervous right now. Uh, so my name is Peyton. I am 22 years old, and I am a second-year intern with the School of Leadership. And today, I really just want to talk about the freedom that God has like bestowed me, and He has given me uh, the joy that I have received from being in the School of Leadership, and just the the freedom that I've received by just being in His presence. So these past two years, I have seen the most growth in myself. I've seen the most healing, not just in myself, but in my friends and my family, and I've gotten to witness what God can do just in a short little amount of time. So if I'm being honest, uh, I am not the same person as I was walking into the school last year. I feel like I'm totally different. God has turned me from a bitter kid and a sad kid into someone that's full of joy. And... It wasn't always like that, but even during this crazy growth, it took some time to believe it. It took time for the Lord to, like, to let the Lord really convince me of who I truly am. I had to let him wash me with the word of God and just sit with him in his holy presence. So his kindness and his goodness was the thing that kept drawing me back. His tenderness towards me was the thing that kept drawing me back to who he was. So last year at the beginning of the School of Leadership, uh, I came in with a lot of father wounds, uh, which were stemmed from my dad not always being there in my life, 
mixed with him being an alcoholic my entire life. So, and when he was there physically, he wasn't there mentally for me. So I never got that connection from only growing up and knowing what a true father was like. So I never received that affirmation from a father that I needed as a kid. So I came in to the school leadership with all those wounds with me. But, and that left me with a heavy burden, leaving me super sad because I took that weight of a father for my family on my shoulders. So when he wasn't there, I had to take care of my mom. I had to make sure my brothers were okay. I had to provide for the household. So I had to grow up fast. And in 2014, my dad got addicted to drugs and kind of disappeared out of my life. And so my family and I had to move out into an apartment, leaving me to become the man of the house. And, and that left me feeling, feeling super broken. But I knew I needed healing from that personally. I knew that Jesus had more in my life than that. I knew, the Lord, I knew the Lord coming into SL, but I wanted to know Jesus on an intimate level. I needed Jesus to take that first priority. I needed Jesus to be that place for my heart because I knew he had more for my life than being a sad teenager that had a broken past that had father wounds. I knew this. So I carried that burden of my father with me in pain for years and became bitter inside. My heart became hardened. I became just kind of angry inside. But last year, the school really helped me by setting up an atmosphere of worship, hour and a half of worship and prayer every morning where you start off just, that's how you start off your morning. And then this is where the Lord really began to wash me with his word, telling me I am a son of the king of kings. I am lovely. I am made in his image. And this is where he washed me. So this is where my heart, where it was hardened, but it became to become softened in his presence. Because that healing that I received from being in the presence of the Lord uh, we were talking about miracles earlier, and I believe in miracles. I got to meet my dad after six years, and guess what? He's faithfully serving the Lord. He's going to church, and I got to meet him after six years. And since then, I've gone camping with him. I've gotten to see the true man that God has always seen him as. And so I, I can have full conversations without feeling any pain there because I know I see him as Jesus sees him. So I'm no longer angry with my dad, but I am joyful and healed. So the Lord asked me to give him that, and when I did, he started to heal me. It was like a cleansing process. And it wasn't this one-time thing, God, hears this anger that I have towards my father, but it was like a process of sitting in his presence, letting leaders tell me who I am in Christ, and just letting him wash me, let me know that I am a child of God. So I learned that he gives us this joy, this joy that I've learned, so when circumstances come against you, you are filled with the Lord no matter where you're at, not wavering. And so this portion I received, once I let God into my heart, became, became God, uh, became the thing that held me. And let me tell you something. God won't force you to carry this joy, but God wants you to carry this joy with you. God's not like, in, he doesn't want to press this against you, but God is like, here's my presence. Here's this thing that I want to give you. And he handed it to me. And I was like, you know what, Lord? Finally, after six years, I will let go, and my heart became to soften. I w didn't cry for so many years, and this year, I, just, I feel like I've cried like 100,000 times just because the presence of the Lord is so good. It's so good. But this year has been a, such a different story. This year, I have grown the most. Last year was a really healing year, but this year, the, the Lord has drawn me into confidence and in becoming who I've always he've always created me to be. And this year, I've learned to be vulnerable with my friends, where last year, I was kind of timid and afraid still to be vulnerable with my leaders even. 
And I learned that there's strength in vulnerability because in 2 Corinthians 2.12, it says in our weakness, we are strong. That means when we don't have the answers and you don't know what to do, you can give it to God and he will give you that joy and strength to keep going. So today my confidence is restored and now I have a bright smile on my face. And now I get to introduce one of my greatest friends, Allison Smith. Hello. Yes, my name is Allison. <laughs> um, I grew up in a Christian house. Um, I was really blessed to have an incredible family. I was in church every Sunday. My parents led the worship team at our old church. And I was actually saved around the age of four. So, like, I don't really remember a time when I didn't know God. But growing up, it was always my parents' religion. It was never really my own relationship with him. And in addition to that, I was always a shy kid for about the first 30 minutes that I knew you. And then I would go crazy, <laughs> as kids do. And I was, like, just, I was, I was just weird, you guys. But in around middle school, I began to grow apart from some of my closest friends and they seemed like they were growing up faster than I was, and I kind of started to feel like the annoying younger sibling that was just tagging along. And so I started to wonder if my weirdness and my personality was the issue, and if that was what was causing the fallout. And so around this time, I began to shut down my personality. I adopted the label of social anxiety. I didn't really have any strong friendships, and I didn't know how to get them, so I said, this is who I am, I guess. And even though I knew who God was and I was in church every Sunday, I still gave in to fear. I lived this way for years <laughs> until one day in 2017, my mom forced me to go to youth group. And I'm not kidding when I say she forced me. I was crying the entire way to the church. <laughs> but as most mom decisions are, it was the right call. And I met some friends that night and I actually was able to force my way into their friend group. Praise God. <laughs> and about eight months into going to this youth group, we started a series on fear and freedom. And through the several weeks that we were kind of in that topic, I was really wrestling with God. I knew that social anxiety wasn't his plan for me. It wasn't his portion. But it was kind of like a security blanket. It was protecting me from vulnerability. It was protecting me from rejection and from my real personality that I had been shoving down for years from coming out. And so I was going back and forth with God for a while. And he was gracious enough to let me. And he was like, she'll figure it out. And I did figure it out. And on the last night, I finally gave it up to him. I said, God, you can have my social anxiety. I'm done with it. And in an instant, I experienced his freedom. <laughs> so good. And I, I was set free in a moment like that. And I experienced God's joy and peace more strongly that night than I ever had before. And although it was an immediate freedom that I gained, there was still a lot of freedom that I didn't realize I needed. But since being set free, I have been able to develop healthy and deep friendships based on vulnerability and being open like I was never able to do before. I've been able to really lean into the process of discipleship by asking the questions and being honest with my leaders I've even grown in my relationship with my family, which was never bad, really, but I can now truly say that I'm close with my parents and my siblings, like never before. And sure, there are still days that I struggle with anxiety and with fear, as everybody does, but God has given me the tools that I need to overcome it, 
and I'm now fighting it from a place of victory. Preach. <laughs> and that is because who the sun sets free is free indeed, right? So good. <laughs> I have been able to step into my calling more and more each day. And had God not moved in my life and continued to work on me, even after being set free, I would not be where I am today. This is my story, and that same power that set me free that night and has worked in my life since then is here this morning, and this can be your story too. I just want to encourage you with that. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to invite Pastor Jared back up. This guy rocks. <laughs> and he has a good word. Thank you so much. I already introduced myself, but I did want to encourage the worship team. Hey, thank you so much for cultivating like a heart that's vertical and not outward. Like I could really sense just the Lord's favor just on your guys' worship. And Garrison, man, I love your voice. I don't know where he's at, but Lord, I don't know if you ever thought about writing songs, dude. But I want you to begin to ask the Lord to give you some songs, man. And I just love a strong voice. God, he's got a powerful voice. Everybody up here is just so good. Like, that's incredible, man. And so, dude, keep going, man. I love it. So good. We're going to get into it. And uh, I feel like I have a word of the Lord for us as a whole. And I don't know if you've ever... Grown up, and I don't know if you were like me, but I wasn't perfect growing up in my life. I was young once, um, young and dumb, as they would say. Um, I had amazing parents, uh, still amazing parents in the church, served the Lord as long as I've been around them. Uh, they, they came into the ministry, they've worked in the marketplace, loved the Lord, always had strong faith. But for me, as an individual, um, I could be found in some precarious positions, things that I wasn't so proud of. I don't know if you've ever had your uh, parents catch you. Anyone had their parents catch you? Uh, for instance, I can remember that I had my girlfriend and my mom caught us in our room, and what I could say is that we weren't doing each other's nails, if you get my drift, right? That was a precarious situation. It wasn't something that I was super proud of, right? Like another time, I totaled my Mazda uh, 3, what is it, a 232 or a 3, no, I can't remember what the Mazda was, but I had a Mazda, and it was old, and it was blue, and I totaled it, and I could remember myself thinking about how I was going to tell my dad. Best believe I mowed the lawn before he came home, right? Dad, you look wonderfully handsome today. I have some news to tell you, right? Preparing myself, finding alcohol in my closet, just different things that your parents would catch you with that I found myself. But you know what? The things that I remember the most is not necessarily the instances, but it was their response, It was their response. See, the, the response for me was never their anger. But they would always affirm my potential, the call of God of my life. Jeez. Hey. Maybe with understanding. And it was, it was their response. 
that penetrated my heart. It was their ability to look past who I was and what I was doing and just see me as their son. And I know in a place that that's not the case for everybody. Some of you were met with anger, disapproval. Maybe you found yourself with parents that didn't even care at all. And what I find is the parents that didn't care at all actually hurts the most. Maybe you had absent parents. But can I just tell you that there is a response from God. And there's an answer from Jesus. And his response to you is not what you would perceive. You see, when we're talking about God the Father and what Christ has done on the cross, he doesn't come to you as this angry. He doesn't come to you as I don't care. He doesn't come to you as what humans would be portrayed. See, we tend to take what was done to us as humans parents, people under sin, and we begin to project God's response to us in precarious situations in our life and begin to say, well, this is how my dad, this is how my mom, this is how others would respond to me. Surely this is how God responds to me. It's quite opposite. You know, I've been in church my whole life, and I've recently been in a season of just being undone by the goodness of God. I'm not talking about like the factitious stuff and the finances or the blessings of a home. I'm talking about the overwhelming patience God has for me in my life. You have to understand that God is so patient. He's so concerned with the outcome of your life, not necessarily with your situation right now. He's not concerned necessarily with the situation so much as he's concerned with the outcome of your life. He's patient and he's kind. But in this time of being just in the church, you know, as if I could ever be deserving of God's goodness. But you can you kind of know, like if you've been in the church for a while, you kind of like... I've been saved by God, I've experienced his mercy, but now since I've been serving God for this long, it almost seems like the mess up is that worse. I should have been beyond this. It's like, well, now I'm on the other side of the cross, so surely God is even more displeased. I'm speaking to some people here right now. really felt this strongly. You feel, leaders, hear me. You feel because you're in a position of leadership, because you've been growing. Uh, Maybe people look at you. You've been in the church for a long time. It seems like surely God could be disapproved with my circumstance right now, my lack of faith right now, my ability to see other people. They're just more called. They're better than me. Maybe I should just take a step back, and the condemnation of the enemy would begin to overwhelm you to take you out down and make you feel almost paralyzed. I find it especially hard for those that have been in the church for a while. I find it myself being overcome. God, maybe I just don't have enough faith or thought those thoughts. 
as if it was ever up to me. As if it was ever up to me. See, the thing about focusing on our downfall is we forget to focus on God's power, God's grace, God's mercy, and his understanding. And we need to recalibrate how we begin to view ourselves in light of who God is. You know, these are the times where you're like in the church and the prophet of God, a guy that is really prophetic or someone who hears from God for things. You want to hide yourself because you already know what God has to say. You ever been there? Oh, Lord, maybe I'll skip on church this day. He loves you and he has a better word. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I just use it all the time. And it's in Romans 2, verse 4, and it's kind of sandwiched between just a long exhortation of people's wickedness and God giving people over to their reprobate mind and everything else. And and Christians judging other Christians, finding themselves in the same peculiar positions. And he's almost just like, it almost seems like this, this big rebuke, like, are you getting it? And there's this little verse in between, sandwiched in between all of this seemingly people that are going to face the wrath of God if they don't turn away from him at the very end in the day of wrath he proposes this question and it says or do you despise the riches of his goodness his forbearance and long suffering now he's asking this in a question form meaning like there's people that are saying well if God's not doing anything to me now surely it could be okay that was kind of like the mindset that he was trying to address but he also adds up with the following question he says not knowing Not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Can I just say, if you take away anything from anything that I say this morning, can you just remember that it is actually the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? That he's so much more patient. That word forbearing means that he actually just tolerates so much more than he would. Why? Because the purpose of his patience, the purpose of his goodness is not to wait all that time to punish you. It's to bring you into relationship with him. Jesus does not desire for you to pay for something that he already bore on the cross. He already took the shame. He already took the sin. He already took the ridicule. He already took the rejection. He already took the sickness. Why would he want to even give that to you that would just nullify the cross in your life? He's after your heart. He's after your freedom. He views you as sons and daughters, and he awaits for you to step into it. It's that good. The goodness of God is not to be understated. It's not even comprehensible. The the way that God views you and the way that God views me will take a lifetime to discover, and it should wreck you over and over again. Could God be this good? Yes, and more. From infinity, from past, present, to future, he's that good, and he sees you the same way. If God was so good and so gracious that he said before the foundations, I chose to die for you. And before you knew his name, he loved you. Then how much more when you're in the house of God? He's still there. And he's still that good. 
He desires you not to pay for something he paid for, and he is, is also his desire is that you have a life that he paid for. Shame and condemnation is the plan of the enemy, and it always has been. But mercy, love, and kindness is the plan of God to redeem and bring a people back to himself. This is the gospel. At any stage in your walk with him, you must know that God is patient with you and that repentance is not a bad word. One of the most beautiful good things about God is repentance. You have to thank God for repentance. Repentance is not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle of acknowledging that, God, you are enough, and it brings you not into your circumstance. It's not a celebration of sin. It's a celebration of what he has done. It's a celebration of what he has done, that it actually glorifies Christ, that you would repent and come into his good graces. He beckons it. He's patient. He's kind. He sees all, knows all, but yet he still calls. He's like, the payment is done. Step into something better. God, could it be that good? Yes, it can. There's a familiar passage, and I want to portray just the view of God, and he does it so well, and it's the story of the prodigal son. It's found in the Gospel of Luke 11.32 and a couple others. But I want you to read it because I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of explain the premise to you. But, but there's three characters in there, and we're going to highlight not the one that's doing bad, but we're going to highlight the father that's been there all along. Okay. It's a beautiful picture of repentance and how God postures or how God is postured towards you, even in, love, in loving times. There is a father. He has two sons. We could say that he has two daughters. Those sons represent you, and they represent me. The father represents God in heaven. One of his younger son asks for, uh, asks, asks for his, I'm like, acts? Where, where did that come from? Asks for his inheritance early, which is a pretty big no-no since it means that God, he wishes that his dad was basically dead so he could have the money early. He goes off to another, na- another nation. He spends it on what the Bible would call wild living, risky living. You can fill in whatever kind of living you want, drugs, uh, uh, sex, uh, homosexuality, you fill in the blank of what you consider wild living, and it was done. And matter of fact, he would spend his whole inheritance on one big party. And then he would find himself empty-handed. He'd find himself in a famine. He'd find himself where when the money ran out, so did the friends. And he would come to his own conclusion in his mind, and he'd begin to ponder about his father. He would begin to ponder about the goodness of his father. And he would say to himself, even in my father's house, his servants have more than enough. And look at me. And he says something so interesting, and I think this will help a lot of people out, is he says that I don't deserve to be his son. Nobody deserves. That is the gospel. We don't live in an area that I have worked enough to deserve. There's only, you don't work your way into being worthy of it. No, Christ made you worthy. There is only one that's worthy. 
There's only one that's worthy. A second thing I want you to note is that the son was in the house before he left. He was in the house before he left. He wasn't just a strange person coming to Jesus. He was in the house with the father, with an inheritance. He called him a son. So he rejected God. He rejected his, uh, his life where he was, and he left. And he thought, if I come groveling back to God, and if I have the right words to say, that maybe I can slip in. And the thing is, is when the son came, the father saw, you know the story well, he doesn't just wait for him with his arms crossed, he goes running to him. And when he begins to regurgitate this huge, long exhortation about how I am so sorry, and God, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven, he just, it's like he ignores everything he's saying, and he begins to call for the robe, call for the ring. It says that he fell on him, and he began to kiss him. That is God's response to you. That is is his response to somebody who is just coming back home. Coming to the goodness of God. It's like everything he did was a thing. And then it said that they begin to celebrate. And the father would say, the father would say that my son that was dead is alive again. That's what matters to God. That's what matters to God. What matters to God is that you live the life that he paid for you to have. It's called the Zoe life. It's called the empowering life. It's this resurrection life. And at every stage, whether you are far off, whether you feel like you're just not in a good place with the Lord, whether you've never even given your life to the Lord, he still is waiting. And his goodness is still there. And it never changes. And his view of you, it looks past what you're doing, and it looks straight at you, and it says, that's my daughter, and that's my son. That's my daughter, and that's my son. The blood of Jesus is enough, and the sufficiency of Christ is enough. He's worthy. And he says, out of that, out of what he paid when you come into this beautiful thing that we call repentance, which is just like, God, I want to do things your way. He says, you're worthy. You have my righteousness. You're a son and a daughter. You actually have full inheritance. You haven't squandered a thing. Actually, everything is brought right back to you, just how I always knew. How do you respond to such goodness when we're undone by the kindness and mercy of God? This goodness has to be experienced. I believe I don't will it upon anybody, but you almost have to hit rock bottom to experience how good it is. When you feel like there's going to be a rebuke and he meets you with a kiss. His love is tangible. His voice is real. And he has a love that is unexplainable. And it's nothing that any person can carry without his love penetrating that person first so that it could be distributed to one another. 
going to close with a story of how we respond. I was swimming when I was like, it must have been like seven or eight years old in this little river. And there was a place that went around the bend, and my mom was over in the grass with my younger sister, and me and my sister went swimming in this river, and there was like this kind of like, I just didn't know it was there. Basically, it was just like a deep hole. So like all of a sudden, you can't touch, but you could touch up here, so the water kind of went from here when you're a kid to nothing. So we're just swimming there, and all of a sudden, I swept, and I couldn't feel my feet. And I just begin to panic. I don't know if you've ever been in a panic. This is the first time where I'm not thinking straight. I'm young. I have no, no concept of what to do except for to swim the opposite way that the river is going. That's not recommended, obviously. But I was, in, I was stricken by fear. So was my sister. And I began to swim myself to exhaustion. Just swimming and just fighting and fighting and fighting as this river was just coming. And I was screaming, Mom! Mom! She's getting here. And this is not really the point, but it's powerful. You have to understand that my dad knew something was going on. Just began to pray. And uh, the Lord said an angel... to my sister (laughs) just a little young person and she runs to mom and she goes mom the guy in the suit the guy in the suit says Jared Jared needs you she's like what she says when she found us our heads are dipping she comes swimming out and rescuing us but The point of the story is that some of us are swimming and what we find is we actually are resisting the goodness of God in the struggle and like we're, we're in the house. But yet there are things that have hindered us, things that are so hard to let go and we're trying to figure out why is this walk with God so hard? And if I only would have known that I just had to stop swimming... If I could just let go and let the river take me back, I'd be able to stand on the other side. The problem is I was just too scared. And I didn't know. Listen, wherever you find yourself, as I'm mumbling up here, wherever you find yourself, the only response to God is to surrender. To stop fighting and just allow him to do his good work in your life and just to finally say, God, you can have it. Because his whole goal in life was to kill you with kindness so that you'd come to your senses. If everyone could stand with me this morning. You know, that God that I'm talking about, he's alive and he's real and he's here in this place. And maybe there's some people that feel far off or you feel like, man, I have to know this God. You have never encountered the love of the living God. And maybe for the first time, you're like, I got I to gotta experience. And you feel compelled to say, Lord, I want to make you Lord of my life and I want to repent. 
to say that, Lord, maybe my life, I've gotten it all wrong, and I just agree that whatever life that you have for me is right. And the way that you want to do life is right. In Romans 10, 9, got it in my little phone here. It says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'd come into this place. And if that's you and you find that, I'm not going to invite you up front or embarrass you, but I want you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. If you find yourself saying, oh, God, i got to come back home. I want the Father. I want to experience his goodness. If you could raise your hand, we're going to pray. We're going to declare with our mouths, and I believe the Holy Spirit is going to come and fill you, strengthen you, and the grace of God is going to come, and your life will never be the same. So if that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. We're going to pray this prayer together. Find yourself in here. Well, Father God, we just thank you. You can repeat after me. Lord, I'm coming home. Forgive me for where I've been. Lord, forgive me for what I've done. Lord, I invite your love. And I invite your lordship to come into my life. That you'd be my God that you'd save me. Holy Spirit, fill me, lead me, guide me in the name of Jesus. What I'm gonna do before we close while the worship team plays, I just have our interns here. If you want some ministry, you want some prayer this morning and something resonated with you, we're gonna make a little space for that. Pastor Cameron's going to close, but I want you to be feel compelled. Don't be embarrassed, but we came all the way from Spokane solely just to pray for you guys and to help build the Big C Church. Amen. Wow, thank you so much, Jared. If We're going to worship a little bit, but I would, I'd like to just echo what Jared's saying. If you would like some prayer this morning, these interns came all the way from Spokane. Come on up, let them lay hands on you, let them bless you, let them pray for you. So come on forward, we're going to worship another, with another song.